What's good, it's Darius. What's up, this Matt? Yo, it's Josh. You are now tuned in to the Dominate the Decade podcast. Let's go. I'm trapped in. I'm trapped in, I know it. Hey, I know I'm trapped. I'm trapped, I'm trapped. I know I'm trapped. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look. I heard my nigga talking about me. Whisper getting close. Uh, nigga, same breaking bread. I don't even know you. Uh. What's good? We got a special guest on today's episode, the host of the Aspiring Abolitionist podcast, Janelle Moore. It's a great podcast that educates the masses on politics and policy issues that matter. Uh, Janelle has a ton of other credits to her name, but we'll just let her describe herself. The Aspiring Abolitionist. That's the name of the podcast. How you doing, Janelle? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, doing well. We're uh, very thankful to have you on, so appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking to my fellow Black podcasters. Um, podcasting is very hard, especially just trying to figure out how to express yourself to an audience, um, just sharing parts of yourself. Um, so it's very cool to get to talk to people who do that too. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, solo podcaster too. That's a, that's a feat in itself. <laughs> for you. How has that been for you? So the podcast has been good. Um, I'm releasing episode five tomorrow about the equal access rule. Um, it's been interesting for me. So I've been interested in like politics and policy for about as long as I can remember. But being able to kind of learn that information and think about creative ways to feed that to my audience and make politics a little bit more palatable and inviting has just been a great personal journey for me because I always want to do people-centered um, and people-focused work. So my podcast is an extension of that. So just getting to think of ways to make something that I find super exciting, policy and politics, like fun and exciting for other people, because for a lot of people, it is very, very boring. So challenging, but exciting. I think it's super cool because like hearing it from you, because I was listening to your podcast a little bit earlier, and it's like kind of break it down a little bit. Because a lot of times I feel like people are kind of alienated. It's like that's that stuff over there. But it's like if somebody, if I can have somebody maybe go to the same school as me, maybe not, who breaks it down, it becomes much more management. I can kind of take it in. So. Right, yeah. I mean, I talk about that all the time. I mean, I think politics is difficult by design. I mean, I think the way, the language that they use, the process, everything about it. I mean, you think about politics and it's supposedly for the people, by the people, but the people don't know what's going on. Um, um, so the podcast is a really good way, in my, I, like in my mind, to bring politics back to the people um, and giving power and knowledge back to the people who need it um, and not just the people who are supposed to represent us, but making sure that we actually know what we want them to represent us on. So just knowing all the issues, ways to solve them, and just unique ways to look at it moving forward. So, yeah. Hmm, so let's back this up. Uh, I guess we go, like, where are you from and kind of what led you to this point to where it's like, okay, let me go and get this podcast going. Okay, so I'm originally from Macon, Georgia. Um, so it's a small, like a medium town city. Like, I don't really know. Like, it's like Contretto. Like, it's just a little mix of everything. But I lived there for 18 years. And then I moved to Baltimore after I graduated from high school. But while I was in Macon, we had the same mayor for 16 years. Um, so the first eight years, he was just a regular mayor and then been consolidated with our neighboring county. Um, so he got eight more years. And just seeing how 16 years of the same mayor basically was incredibly detrimental to the minority community of my hometown, seeing how their votes were not being counted, how their concerns were not being heard, um, and how basically our majority minority town was being run by this super small minority just because of like the way the lines were drawn and just, you know, 
the discrimination goes down the list. Um, so kind of, I feel like my childhood in a way radicalized me um, in just the idea that politics should always be people work. I think we have this crazy weird idea that politics is done like in some super glass house and we're just supposed to go about our everyday lives and just like let the people in the suits do the talking and we just do everything else. But they're representing us. Like these are our issues. At the end of the day, a lot of these issues will affect us before they affect our elected officials. So just kind of growing up, seeing how a lot of the concerns and a lot of the things that needed to be changed in my town were just completely ignored um, because the person who was representing them weren't, wasn't of them and wasn't representative of them. And then moving somewhere like Baltimore, where it is super black and I love it, um, having a lot of black leadership. My dad works in local government, um, so he actually works in it for the city of Baltimore. Um, and being able to see the change and the shift when the people of the city are basically essentially like the policies based on the people of the city and not just on the people writing the policy. Um, it's a complete different shift than what I had in my hometown. So it looks like you seemed uh, pretty involved since you were a young kid. Like you mentioned how your childhood was kind of dominated by seeing these things. So that must mean you were into it whenever you were younger. And I heard uh, on your podcast, you said whenever, uh, Barack Obama was elected, that kind of really shifted things for you and made things real. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what you looked like as a child, um, <laughs> worried about all these issues, these uh, politic issues, and how you even got into liking policy and politics? Well, honestly, I look like a psycho. I mean, I think like, I <laughs> for like, people like, why the heck is Janelle like obsessed with like DC and politics and all these things? Um, but like, I think I'm a very spiritual person and a faithful person, um, daughter of Christ, in the way that I feel like everything happens for a reason. And my dad, when my mom got pregnant with me, um, he took a job in our local government for Parks and Recreation in Macon. So just growing up and like hearing how his community programs may have like kept the kid off the street or how his community programs were like feeding kids that were living 10 minutes away from me. So just seeing like how hands-on local governmental work could actually help improve my community while you had a mayor who didn't care and wasn't doing anything to help. I think just kind of seeing that intermediary between like people who are trying to do organizing and collective organizing work and then people who are supposed to be doing it and just like don't care. Um, so I think seeing that from a young age and then kind of like growing up to it and then you get to school where you're dealing with kind of like everything we've dealt with at USC um, where we have we've had a presidential change. I mean, we've had several discrimination incidents. I mean, and then you think about the collective student organizing that's happening at our university. Um, so it just kind of seems like a very co like consistent trend in my life, just like kind of placing me in this weird annexation of like a problem needing to be solved and like me somehow being close to the solution. Um, so I think that happened when I was young. I ran my first campaign for like class pet so it was an iguana I lost uh, but forward all the way to last year when we won with Izzy and Hannah so I don't know I mean I think I have always been this way I don't remember ever not being this way like super type a and like obsessive policy and politics but I think it's definitely just been inspired by my father um and also just like the people that they surrounded me with I mean my mom she was an educator um and just seeing how she she would go out every day. I mean, but it's just all, my whole family, all their occupations are people-centered work and politics was just, it's all about people. So it just seemed like the best way to kind of continue what I felt like my parents were doing anyway. 
So I know that was a lot. <laughs> but, uh, but, yes, yes, yes. Know, that's just kind of how I break it down in my head. Yeah, no, I appreciate the depth. And I guess as a uh, follow-up question, so Obama got elected in 2008, so 12 years ago. So you were probably around 10? I was like 8. Nine, eight. Yeah. So eight, explain... Uh, kind of what the household looked like when that happened and what your personal uh, feelings were whenever that happened. Well, I mean, I remember just being like, what the heck? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my mom, she let me stay home for inauguration both times, so both times um, with the inauguration, and then we always stayed up every single night for election night. I mean, I credit a lot of my passion for politics to, like, my parents. Like, me and my dad would sit and watch, like, Don Lemon, like, at 10, 11, when he would come on CNN, like, I would wake up in the morning and, like, the news would be in the background. Um, so when Obama got elected, like, everyone was super excited. Like, my grandma was over my house and just, like, seeing her, like, disbelief. Literally, I mean, this is a woman who was born in 1950. So, like, seeing her going through Jim Crow, like, 18 at the peak of the civil rights movement, all the way to seeing a Black person being, like, elected president. I mean, so it was crazy. I mean, I was just super excited. Um, I remember my grandma cried, my mama cried, everyone was crying. Um, and I was just like, at the time, this is a very emotional moment. I didn't really understand the ramifications of it until 2012, but it was just a cool moment. I just remember being like shifted in that moment and just realizing how important it is to have people who look like me in those super high positions of power. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that inauguration came because I didn't like you, I didn't really understand the magnitude of was a big sports fan. So it was like, oh, this is cool. My mom made me like sit there and watch the whole inauguration. Yes. Then we had to watch the I don't know if it was like the parade or whatever, whenever yeah. they drive through. Yeah. She's like, You're not going nowhere. I think it was somewhat snowing. Y'all know how snow goes in South Carolina. And she's like, You're not going outside in the snow, we're gonna watch this moment. And I feel like a lot of people who have like newspapers and collectors items for that time, it's like you hold on to those because we don't know how long it'll be until it's done again. Yeah. Yeah, like I like small facts about me like I really when I decorate my own home like I want to have all these super niche like collector's item things yeah. and like a newspaper from the day Obama won the election is one of them <laughs> I have to find like a 2008 newspaper but you know <laughs> I'll find it yeah no you're gonna have to frame that one for sure <laughs> I think Michelle Obama's got a podcast that Spotify has been pushing really oh, hard and it's coming out yes. are you I'm, I'm sure hey. you're looking forward to it I need to listen to the trailer. Um, I'm obsessed. I mean, I think podcasting, it's like one of my favorite mediums at this point. Um, I think it's a really cool way to just talk but and just be very conversational. I think a lot of the times when we consume information, it has to feel very boring. And I think podcasting is a really good way to like make the information consumption entertaining. Um, so it's still like good stuff, but also just like cracking jokes and just a little bit of personality as well instead of like, you know, C-SPAN, where it's just like the House and the Senate, and they're coming. <laughs> You're just sitting and watching that bad boy. Literally, literally. So are you a more of a podcaster or a book reader, or which would you prefer if you had to choose? I love books. I mean, just because, like, I was a super talkative kid, um, and it was, like, the only thing that could keep me quiet at the time. So, like, I've always just kind of, like, kept that with me. Um, so I read quite often, but I have been loving podcasting recently. Um, because my parents live in Maryland, I have taken that dreadful eight and a half hour drive from South Carolina to Maryland and back. And podcasting is what saves my life. Um, so Pod Save the People and how I built this. I love NPR podcast. Um, but my favorite is Pod Save the People with DeRay, Brittany Pacchietti, um, Clint Smith, and God, I can't remember the last guy. 
but that's my favorite podcast. Um, so I listen to literally like every single episode that I can on that eight and a half hour drive. And that's kind of how I consume a lot of the up to date, like activism in regards to like criminal justice specifically. So, yeah. So criminal justice, that's like your main thing. Uh, that's my shtick. Like that's definitely like my niche. I think for me, Weirdly, I was in Sanford the day that the George Zimmerman, um, well, I was in Orlando, so that's like 45 minutes from Sanford, um, the day that the George Zimmerman decision was struck down. Like, I remember we were, like, turning to go to Disney, and then it was just like, he is not guilty. And I just remember, like, everything going silent for me, and just sitting there and being like, and looking to the right, and looking at my little brother, and just being like, so if this happened to him, then what? And, like, I think, like, from that moment, I just kind of, like, was, like, I can't sleep another night without, like, feeling like I'm doing something to fix this. I am such a, like, passion-driven person. So just seeing, I don't know, something about that moment and just looking at him and just trying to explain to him, like, what had happened. And I was just, like, no one should have to do this ever. And it's just, like, for from that moment, then I've kind of, like, dedicated my whole life, I want to say, to, like, eventually Black people, Black siblings, like, not having to have those conversations ever again is the goal but you know we're here now and this kind of poached george floyd america um so i don't know i mean everything's kind of happening really quickly when it comes to criminal justice but keeping a good eye because just because something's quick does not mean it's right <laughs> so definitely just trying to see what's going on um but i think as far as super i want to say radical ideas that we had about criminal justice are not that far off anymore um, like full legalization of marijuana. I mean, you're thinking about reducing drug crimes. I mean, so a lot of those things are happening in these like bluer states. Um, but I'm very passionate in the fact that in the next like five to 10 years, like we're going to see a drastic push to just like overhaul our criminal justice system because with where we are now, <laughs> there's no way we can kind of continue on our same track record um, in this age of information with how we're moving. So yeah. In the uh, 13th documentary? Oh my gosh, yes, that's my favorite documentary. Ava DuBernay is my queen. You guys should definitely watch Grass is Greener. That's actually my favorite documentary right now. But it's specifically about like the legalization of marijuana and how like racialized the war on drugs is. Definitely like one of those like open my third eye type documentaries. So definitely check that out. Grass is Greener, definitely got to put that on the list. So I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize um, is that a lot of the cases like you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, like a lot of the decisions that made those cases possible happened at like the local level. Mm -hmm. uh, why do you think that we don't put, you know, more of an emphasis on, you know, local elections? Because, you know, obviously we're all talking about politics now because, you know, the presidential election is coming up. Right. But, um, you know, we kind of, you know, ignore and gloss over all these like local smaller elections that, you know, affect us in a lot more ways than we uh, a lot of times are even aware of. So why do you think that is? I mean, I think it's because we just have this, like, super ingrained idea that our vote doesn't count no matter what election we're voting in, right? So you have, like, this huge presidential general election that, like, everyone and their mom goes to every four years since November. I mean, and we kind of, like, chalk it all up to, like, our full civic duty of voting. It's just voting every four years on that first Tuesday in November. But we all know that voting is a lot more than that. I mean, a lot of times it is misinformation um and i think that's deliberate i mean when you think about the even the marketing that goes behind a federal election i mean the money so they have money for advertisements they have money for the mailings the literature the tv commercials so all this stuff it's all you see everywhere but when you have these local elections that are only raising like five to ten grand 
you don't have money for any of that. So a lot of people aren't getting that information. Um, a lot of times those midterm elections aren't as publicized as well. A lot of people can't take off of work because election day still isn't a federal holiday. Um, so it's just kind of like when it comes to voting in the smaller elections, a lot of people don't feel like it's worth their time because they can't take off work. Election day is not a federal holiday and they just feel like that their vote doesn't count anyway. And the federal election, so like how the heck would it count in a local election? Um, but I think it's also just because politics on a federal level is more exciting. And when you're talking to people about, you know, electing their school board, unless they have kids, like it's not the same. <laughs> so I think that's the problem. It's just kind of figuring out that we have a lot more power than we think. Um, and I think that collective power hasn't taken away from us. And I think a lot of the advocacy that we're seeing right now is instilling that power back into those communities. Um, so I feel like once they feel empowered again, they'll start kind of like going to those more that smaller elections because they'll be like well I got a voice now so make sure I do what I do so that's what I'm hoping that's the that's the hope for sure yeah so how much of a factor do you think media and uh, media coverage plays in the outcome outcomes of elections and kind of the build-up towards it as well yeah so media media and media coverage so that's difficult because I mean when you have these huge national media conglomerates, right? I mean, I, I am one of those people that thinks like, in some ways, capitalism is the root of all evil. I mean, when you think <laughs> about local news channels, like where they're just focused on like trying to be like, make the bottom line. I mean, when everything that we do is based on meeting the bottom line, and like you have to do things that make money. So then when you have news coverage, like what makes the most money, right? Like us covering the riots and like the fights and like all this other stuff. We don't want to cover that they open a new coffee shop by the river because that's not going to make us any money and nobody's yeah. going to tune in. So I think when it comes to news coverage, a lot of times we need to focus on our local channels because if we subscribe, if our parents are subscribed, if we're subscribed, even though we're not in a local area, if we're making sure we're reading online like at least twice a month and just supporting some of those smaller papers, you're getting more accurate and relevant information for your local area, but also supporting them so that they don't have to keep kind of going for the cheap stuff that just gets them ratings. I mean, I think when you kind of have infotainment like we have now or like CNN, like you go and like you want to see the panels because like you want to hear them bicker and like it's not so much about like the information, but like that's all just because that's what makes the money. I mean, and until Americans find gaining information like that exciting, then our news coverage won't really like reflect that because I mean, we're the consumer and like we can't lie and say that we don't love like exciting news. So yeah. That's just what we're gonna get yeah and that's really scary to think about uh this whole infotainment thing that you said uh how we put so much value into being entertained by these different politics and policies and stuff and we only tune in whenever oh man it's kind of like it's kind of like fight night you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah. debates and all these different things um this is one point where i really like about your podcast where it's uh, a lot of policy and you break it down in a digestible way. And this is something that I've felt for a long time. Podcasts should be the medium of choice whenever people are talking about some of these issues that are going on. And yeah. it's not even just like, oh, we have 30 minutes for you to talk right here. How can you talk about all these different uh, things going on in 30 minutes? But when you have podcasts as a long form thing where you can break down things, uh, say your thoughts, anything you're thinking about. I feel like that's a very beneficial thing. So 
what you're doing and how you break it down is very digestible and it really does help me retain the information. Well, that is wonderful. I love to hear that. I mean, I know that I literally sit and break down like the policy, like subsection by subsection, but just like, that's how I think. Um, but just like, we have to make everything palatable. I mean, I think we add all these big words and like all these super like crazy clauses and like all this stuff to just make politics seem like a big, like piece of crap. But like really once you get to the root of it all, like we can make some really good changes, but we just have to really start paying attention. So I'm glad that you love the podcast and kind of like the format, definitely still figuring that out. Um, so it's always good to get some good feedback. Can we get a sneak peek about what this new one's going to be about? It drops, you said, tomorrow, I think it is. Yes. So I'm going to be talking about the equal access rule. Um, so basically what happened is a couple of days ago last week, um, Ben Carson rolled back um, a HUD ruling that happened in 2016 um, that basically made it more inclusive, homeless shelters more inclusive for transgender women and men um, and gender nonconforming people. And basically what Ben Carson did is he took away that equal access rule, basically putting the decision-making back to the local shelters. So when you have homeless shelters, a lot of times you're running into religious-based organizations, um, organizations who are getting funded by other entities other than the federal government that may have other values like that are separate than our federal government. So basically what the equal access rule and that rolling back does is any shelter that receives federal funding now has equal grounds to discriminate against trans women and men based on placing them in a house that more so fits their biological sex than their gender. Um, so obviously it's very dangerous um, because trans women putting them in a male shelter a lot of times would put them in danger and vice versa. I mean, so just thinking about ways that we can create a more inclusive society without scapegoating people all the time. So that'll be what my podcast is about. Um, but also just like my journey towards trans allyship. Because being in a small being from a small town in Georgia, that's not something that was very visible to me a lot. Um, and going to school and trying to be more of an advocate. Um, I think a lot of times, especially right now, people are just like, how can I be a better advocate for black people and black and indigenous people of color? But we also have to remember the intersectionality that's within that. Um, black trans women are literally dying in mass. I mean, the fact that they can't even make it to 35 is crazy. I mean, could you imagine someone telling you that you might not make it past 35? Like, I just, I couldn't imagine, right? So just thinking about ways that our activism can be more targeted because, I mean, black men are under attack, black women are under attack, but as a collective, it's very much so our responsibility to protect our own. So that's what the podcast will be about. So I'm excited. Um, just because it's a newer topic, I think a lot of people shy away from the conversation of trans advocacy. So I'm excited to kind of jump head first into it. And so this will drop on Monday. But even when y'all are listening, go and make sure y'all go check out Aspire and Abolitionist. It's going to be dope. We can't wait to hear, hear what you got to say about the different subjects. Yeah, we'll definitely be tuned in. And that leads me to the question. I should ask this at the beginning, but uh, how did you come up with the name Aspiring Abolitionist? Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite, I think one of my favorite hairs is Angela Davis, right? I think Angela Davis has been like super doped up for a really long time. Like she's been one of my favorite people. Um, but recently she's been getting a lot of light. Um, so just kind of revisiting a lot of her abolitionist works. And then I remember that I am aspiring to be a, like at the same level of Angela Davis as far as like my advocacy, um, my activism and my abolitionist worked, um, so it just seemed nice to kind of pair the two. And I love a good play on words, so nice little 
repetition. So just aspiring abolitionists is what I came up with because I mean, the podcast, it's a journey for everybody. Just like I'm telling you guys to seek knowledge. I'm also seeking out this knowledge um, in ways to fine tune my advocacy and my activism um, to make sure that when I say I'm doing people centered and people focused work that like I'm of the people and by the people myself and just not saying that. So that's what the podcast is for. Um, just a lot of learning for me, um, but also just sharing that learning with you guys on my journey to just being a better advocate um, and a better abolitionist um, because I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm definitely on the way. Striving for the best. Dominating the decade. Yeah, <laughs> we're good Oh, wait, wait. I did want you to talk about uh, this teacher that said that you reminded her of Condoleezza Rice. Can you tell yeah. us that story? Like, how did she come out with that? Uh, how did you take that? Uh, so, like, in kindergarten, it seemed like a great thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, like a black girl, DC, cool. You know, and then, like, I get older, I'm like, oh, she was kind of like Omarosa. Oh, my God. And it's just like, I was not super happy about that. But it's super cool that she was, like, one of the few black women working in the Bush administration. Um, so, in my mind, when I think about it, it's just, like, a black woman that definitely, like, rose to the top of her field. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of her ideology, but I agree with the ascension into DC stardom. <laughs> so I would say that for sure. Gotcha. So what were you doing in kindergarten for her to call you uh, Condoleezza Rice? I have no clue. There's no telling. <laughs> I feel like this is like a super active person. Like I was probably like arguing with somebody, let me tell you. Um, I was, I've always been an arguer. Like, you know, like young golfers, like I sent that to law school. Like that's me, like for sure. <laughs> so probably just arguing with somebody. Um, and she was just like, you are something else but i don't know she loved me but that's the only thing she called me it's just miss condoleezza rice but like literally that was like right during the time of the bush administration so i was the only black woman in dc at the time so it makes sense i mean that's a pretty spot on uh prediction like in <laughs> kindergarten like yeah, who knows i mean i was like oh wow i mean and then like fast forward i'm like oh yeah yeah was she was speaking life over you man <laughs> She was. I went to a Christian school too, and they were all black. I was like, I should really was speaking through me. It was God. <laughs> Manifest. Speaking of uh, women ascending to power, um, I know you probably heard uh, Biden. He promised to have his running mate be a black woman. So, like, who would your pick be for like his running mate? Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is my pick. George Born, George Bread. I love a Georgia girl, but also just she's so intelligent. I mean, when you think about the fact that this woman literally had her undergrad from Selman, she got her law degree from Yale, has an LLM in taxation from NYU. I mean, she's done incredible work in the Georgia House. Um, and seeing her kind of ascend to this status of fighting against voter suppression after she literally lost the gubernatorial race because of voter suppression, I mean... I just think her strength is unparalleled. Her ability to adapt is unparalleled. And also just like, I love Kamala Harris, don't get me wrong, but when it comes to criminal justice, she has a very checkered history and so does Joe Biden. Um, so in my opinion, he needs someone that has a pretty clean political record and Stacey Abrams has one of the cleanest so far. Um, but I know that Stacey Abrams has been in the talks. I'm pretty sure she made the short list, prayers up. Um, but other than that, Val Dimmings, and then after that, my pick would be Kamala. But I love Kamala. I think she's incredible, but I really want to keep her in the Senate, um, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, because I think if Mitch McConnell 
however, does not lose, we definitely still need strong Democratic senators in the Senate. That was a good answer. You just spit that off like that. I was like, oh, snap. Yeah, yeah so I've been thinking about this for a really long time. Like, I can send you, I'm gonna, literally going to send a Darius, like, my super long argument as to why I see <laughs> Because, like, that's just, like, a bite size. But, like, I literally have this conversation so much. But I really want her to do it. Because I met her when she came to Macon, like, a couple years before she ran for governor. And I just remember, like, her literally taking my breath away. And, like, this woman literally took a dollar, like, just a single dollar, and broke it down in cents as to how our dollar is broken down in taxpayer, like, money throughout the state of Georgia. And I was like, she's a genius. (laughs) Now she might be our next VP. So, I don't know. I'm excited for her black woman yay so i really hope that she gets it but if not i'll just be happy either way yeah black women killing the game so that leads me to this question so the name of the podcast is dominated decade so how do you plan on dominating this next decade what does the next 10 years look like for janelle Moore? oh that's a fun question so basically my plan is to i'm like rising senior as crazy as that sounds um so about to finish up undergrad um, then off to law school. I really want to go to Howard in D.C. Um, and be there for three years. Um, I really want to become fluent in Spanish at some point. So doing a graduate program abroad is in the cards, question mark. Uh, and then after that, I really want to work for the Drug Policy Alliance or the Innocence Project or some type of criminal justice focused nonprofit. Um, but my Drug Policy Alliance is number one because I believe the fastest way for us to fix our mass incarceration problem is to end the war on drugs and legalized marijuana. There are no such thing as good drugs and bad drugs. There are just good doses and bad doses. Um, when we start putting actual information funding behind drug programming, that doesn't criminalize it, but rather it makes it a public health issue. Um, I don't mean this, I mean, I say like a lot of our problems will be fixed. So I really want to work for the Drug Policy Alliance because that's what they're super focused on. And I got keyed into their work from Grass is Greener. But other than that, I just want to do super people-centered, people-focused work, Um, hopefully in criminal justice, but I'd be happy with literally anything as long as it involves politics and helping people. Yeah, the uh, the mantra on the podcast here is a Darius for president, but a Darius, I don't know, man. Sounds like you got some competition. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be president. I, I will be your chief of staff, though. I will be your chief of staff. I can do that. <laughs> I, I think I just swayed my vote over to Janelle Moore, but uh, yeah, that sounds great. That's sweet. That's sweet. Thank you, guys. That's so kind. Hey, habla espanol. Um, poco, porque. Oh, here this goes. they In the group chat, Josh speaking for the souls of Josh, we popping out in Spanish, and me and the dudes be trying to figure it out. So it's nice to know you in the same page. Yeah, yeah like I'm like literally every single time, I'm like I'm trying to be comfortable in Spanish. I'm just like, let's talk in Spanish. I'm like, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Just give me some more time. I mean, I do think I just I'm one of those people that needs to just be like, just throw me in like Mexico, in like literally small village. Just let me learn for 45 days and then take me out. So I just try to find something like immersive that I can do because I think I will learn that better. Because I describe myself as a sponge, um, and I think if I have nothing else but learn that language, like I would be fluent in short. I can definitely see that sponge tag because you just have all this information in in it. Uh, well, you have all this information in you, and you just dropping all this information on us. So it's like that every time. I run up here. I don't know where where it's at. Like where it's stored at. Yeah. Did you have anything else that you wanted to leave with us? 
Um, everyone needs to register to vote. Everyone needs to register to vote. I'll be putting up um, voting deadlines on my page at Aspiring Abolitionists on Instagram. Other than that, learn about policy and politics. I know that it seems like everything is super annoying right now because uh, the person that's occupying the office of the president and everyone who is in his administration, but hope, dare I say, cannot be lost. Um, we have a really, really, really great election coming up in November. We've had some awesome primaries with turnout, like super huge turnout. So I have a really good lookout for November. We're raising, Democrats are raising more money than ever before. People are voting more than ever before. So I think we just kind of need to keep the momentum up and we're going to have a wonderful night in November when Lindsey Graham comes home and when Donald Trump also comes home. <laughs> I'm about to say, just like I've seen all over the place, I don't care what has to happen. I don't care how long you have to stand in line. We got to get Donald out of office. And this is not a political podcast, but I, I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> I, my, 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 my podcast is political, so, you know. <laughs> All right, so where can everyone find your podcast? You mentioned Instagram, but where else are you? Yeah, so I'm streaming on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Anchor. Um, my podcast is housed on Anchor. But if you go to my Instagram at Aspiring Abolitionist, I have a link tree with all the links to my streaming platforms for my platform for my podcast. Not my platform um, for my podcast. So if you need help, I would check my Instagram first. Well, thank you guys so much for interviewing me. This is great. Thank you for being on. You just dropped so much knowledge on us. We appreciate it. Thanks for informing us and keep it up. I'm gonna cry. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Y'all go check her out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dominate the Decade podcast. Peace. Adios. I guess the prince in the unmarked car with the tents. Mark Anthony with the new anthem. Yeah, I know. It's a little intense. Ferragamo on the collar. We gon' mash a throttle in Miami Harbor. Girl, you want me like a shatter. You make a move, make it matter. Hey, now. Well, I guess we can play now. Blend my Philly way now. With your Latina sway now. Sacude tu cadera. Always taking pictures. Laughing, blowing kisses. I think you're delicious. Mark, what this is. Esta rico. Esta rico. Esta rico.